0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hey, this is Zach Ephron and you're listening to the stupid cancer show.
0: I
2: hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can
3: remember. I hate you and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes. In the
0: head. <gasps> <laughs> It a time machine. Kind of a DeLorean. This is the stupid
3: cancer show. Uh oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mundus. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> There, children. Hey, hey, kids! <laughs> People seem to like
4: me
0: because
3: I am polite and I'm rarely late.
4: And now the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary. Woo-hoo! not that there's anything
1: wrong
2: with us? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs>
1: Monday, July 11th, and welcome to the Season 8 finale of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer.
3: And I'm Lisa Bernhard, 16-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show.
1: Got cancer? Under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living, because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time.
3: Tonight's show, the topic is, Does Everything Cause Cancer? with our special guest, Dr. Sandra Steingraber. She's an acclaimed ecologist. She is the author of Raising Elijah, Protecting Children in an Age of Environmental Crisis. Also the author of Living Downstream, an ecologist's personal investigation of cancer and the environment. And she is the Ithaca College scholar and residence in the Department of Environmental Studies and Sciences. And in our Survivor Spotlight, Amy Knopf, she's a three-time young adult survivor of brain cancer and a naturopathic doctor should tell us all about that at the Sojourn Community Health Clinic.
1: As a reminder, this broadcast is a production of the I Am Too Young for This Cancer Foundation. Online at stupidcancer.com, we help young adults fight cancer every day and are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the National Spotlight where it belongs because it's It's not not okay okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year. So... <clears throat> Hello, my friends. Hello, my friends. Hello, <laughs> friends, and welcome to yet another fun-filled and exciting romp for the Hay-On Tonight's Stupid Cancer Show. And a
3: stupid cancer welcome to all of our first-time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes as we broadcast live from the Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan.
1: Don't forget, folks, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed. During each broadcast, we invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, and ask questions of our guests. And with that, it is time to say hello. Hello. We welcome back to the studio tonight, VP Operations, the giant redhead, Mr. Kenny Kane. ¿Cómo está ustedes? Muy uh, gracias. Estoy muy bien, gracias, ¿y tú? Diferente de la misma mierda. ¿Dónde está la biblioteca?
4: Ay,
3: caramba.
1: Necesita langosta con queso. What the Una hell? cerveza? A stupid and, cancer show en espanol. En el automobilo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Nuevo. Yes. And Reverend
1: James Manning with us, as always.
0: As always. How are you, man? I am well. You look uh, rested. Yes, I had a good weekend. Okay. Hi, James. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. Good. <laughs> I had family in this weekend, but thankfully it was the non-dysfunctional, so I am rested. Are
1: they ever coming back? Because it was 113 here in the city.
0: They may be. They may okay. be.
1: The gluttons for punishment.
0: Yes, something like that.
1: You
3: actually have some fami- family members that are non-dysfunctional? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes I do. Good for That's you. not
0: possible. <laughs> I didn't think so. I didn't think so it was either, but apparently it is. Well done. Uh, we
1: have uh, some unfortunate somber news to end the season on.
0: Yes, we um, do. Um,
1: this uh, We had a um, friend of the show, a friend of mine, as I go through puberty on the air. Um, her name was Jennifer Goodman Lynn. She was a rock star survivor. She was diagnosed five times. I think when we had her on the show, it was just her fifth relapse. But it was over the course of like six years. She fought long. She fought hard. Uh, I think she was on the show twice. Uh, And um, I, I forget all the cancer she was diagnosed with, but she'll disclose that we're going to play a clip from her. She was on the air on March 10th, 2010. She ran an organization called Cycle for Survival, which benefited... Uh, rare disease research at Sloan Kettering here in New York City, and every year it raised like over a million dollars. It was just amazing.
3: Incredible. She was
1: a force of nature. I'm rare- looking
3: at the website now, and it says 2011 top teams have raised close to $5 million.
1: In total or in one year?
3: In total for, it, it says for, uh, actually it says for 2011, this might be in total. Yeah, I think it's in total, actually. Cause right. You can see the uh where they hit uh, over two million in 2010, so it looks like it's in total. But that's astounding. Yes. Cycling being sh- uh, through gyms, Equinox. Like, right. They um, get like
1: people that just go to gyms spinning, around the country. Spinning classes. It's a spinning class. Yeah. Yes.
3: Uh, she, uh, amazing woman. Yeah. Loved having her. She came here in studio. And what you Yeah, she, is she was here. She was here. She was here. Yeah. We've got photos of her up on our Facebook pages, I'm sure, because I remember we, we snapped a lot of pictures with her. And she got a lot of national attention for Cycle for Survival because it was so successful. She was on the Today Show. She was
1: a marketing and media machine. And
3: kind of all over the place. Yeah. And uh, really powerful, and our um, hearts go out to her husband and family and good wishes and thoughts with them.
1: Yeah, so we we mourn her loss. I just wanted to basically read a statement that I put on Facebook um, and sent out to my friends, and then we'll cut to a short clip of hers when she was on the show Uh, We mourn the loss of yet another game-changing young adult. Rest in peace, Jennifer Goodman Lynn. Your brave battle across so many years, combined with your fierce, no-nonsense ability to rally thousands with your passion, will endure your legacy for all time. Here we go. Here's Jennifer Goodman Lynn on the Stupid Cancer Show in March of 2010. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show my friend Jennifer Goodman Lynn. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We're thrilled,
3: and Matt, can I just say, first of all, we have uh, some corrections from the fact-checking department
1: here, first and
3: foremost. She endured four relapses, four surgeries, and over 30 months of chemo, and has
2: raised over $4.5 for research. So
1: you edited the document that you sent me for her to make me look like that? Well, she's
2: allowed. Unfortunately, I sent you that document last month, and a lot's been going oh on. Oh, my God! <laughs> we raised a lot of money. You're a moving I target. Again, I I can't <laughs> have moving
1: targets on this show. an
2: enterprising woman. <laughs>
1: All right, well, all right, then I'm entirely wrong, and now Lisa's just in charge of you. Go ahead. Oh.
3: (laughs) Jennifer, all right. Good night, everyone. (laughs) Bye, Matt. (laughs) Thanks. We'll take it from here. Thank you very much. No, start out and tell
2: us your story. Tell us uh, your diagnosis and your treatments. and and Sure. Um, I was diagnosed about five and a half years ago with a very rare type of cancer called MFH sarcoma, which is a soft tissue cancer, and um, I found out about it because I just started to get night sweats and fevers, And my husband and I were um, thinking about starting a family at that time, and I started to notice I was getting fevers all the time, and um, basically um, found out that I had some blood work issues, and long story short, I had a tumor the size of a football in my stomach. And um, since then, I've, um, fortunate, um, basically been cured five times, but the cancer comes back. So I've been dealing with it for five and a half years now, and unfortunately, I just found out last month that I relapsed for the fifth time. So I'm... A five time survivor now. <laughs>
1: Absolutely. We don't like
2: relapses here. Yeah, we don't like them at all. Explain for folks what soft tissue uh, cancer means exactly. Right, so, I guess that there are broad types of cancers. There's blood cancers like lymphoma and leukemia. There's organ cancers like breast cancer, and lung cancer. And then there's this broad classification of kind of muscle and tissue cancers, and soft tissue sarcoma fits within those. It's a it's very not rare a cancer. Tumor. <laughs> there, you go. there are less than 10,000 cases a year. Wow. So what and the treatment that you've been through, uh tell tell us about that. So sure, so the best way to handle or the best protocol for me is to um use chemotherapy to shrink the tumor and then surgery to remove it. So I've been through three different chemo cocktails for um periods as, as short as 3 months to as long as 16 months at a time. And um I've had I'm going about to have my fifth abdominal surgery where they basically cut, cut open your middle, take a lot of stuff out, dissect your colon put it back together and Good to go. Right. <laughs> wow. And you're spinning and cycling and fit through all of this. I, uh, How has that worked? I made a joke with my doctor that uh, I can be bald or fat, but not both. So uh, <laughs> he decided to, unfortunately, the treatments may, you know, make me lose my hair, but I will I can be bald. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got you. so much fun having us was, the show. again, a force of nature, yeah. a true force of nature. You will be missed, Jen. God bless, Definitely. and the legacy you have left behind again will endure Tremendous. forever. Yeah. So before we get to our uh, our special guest in the spotlight tonight, what else you got for us, please?
3: What else do I have? Um,
1: put you on the spot. Y- you
3: did put me on the spot. We finally broke the heat wave
1: here in New York City. Okay. It's <laughs> the best segue ever. That was really pathetic. How how about, he, can you he help me out here? How about gay marriage passing yeah. in New York and everyone getting married? Did we talk this weekend? about that?
0: Oh no, we, we talked about fa-
1: that off the air.
3: We thought we talked about it when it passed, but now, no, it's but, fa- but now you can finally get married.
1: <coughs> we went back yes. to the future and yes, yeah. Actually, funny story. My dad and I did wohop surprise Sunday morning for brunch, and we walked down Worth past the city clerk's office, and you know, learned later that there were you know some Facebook friends who were actually in line to get married, but it was just a mob scene. Well, it was on New York One. Like, they literally were, like, broadcasting live all the weddings on, was it Saturday or Sunday? No, Sunday. It was Sunday. Yeah. My dad is the ultimate tourist, so he's like, I walked by, let's go back and walk past it again. I was like, all right, Dad. Just amazing. Really amazing. Yeah, it's good. And the first first lesbian couple to get married in New York was these, these octogenarians who wore, like, matching turquoise outfits. It was the sweetest thing I've ever seen just so emblematic it's of moving. the non-threatening, no need to worry about this. It's just, like what are you? You're afraid of octogenarians in turquoise sequined outfits getting 80, married? They can be. They the, can be scary for uh, the people playing at home. Yeah. Well,
3: there's actually, if you want to get to real news, there's lots. I mean, horrific uh, events in Norway.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's bad. That's bad. And everyone, everyone, instantly jumped to like it's an Islamic terrorist, but it's like an anti-Islamic Nazi. Exactly. Yes.
3: This guy who looks like he you know, could be a model, because yeah. everybody in Norway is fabulous looking, but horrific. Horrific guy, yeah. horrific events, um, got all kinds of stuff Did happening. you
1: see that he, his manifesto was basically ripped off from Ted Kaczynski's? Like, word for word. Is that right? Word for word, his manifesto was ripped off from Ted Kaczynski's. I don't make it a practice to read uh, psycho manifestos. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I'm, he did. We found out Matt's minor in college. <laughs> psycho <laughs> manifestos. Yes. <laughs>
3: Lots in the news. Phone don't,
1: hacking. Don't leak out. I, I, and I love the fact that, again, Fox News has not yet reported once on their own failings going on in England right now.
3: Well, is, that, is that a fact? Yeah.
1: They have, must have. No, been. they have not. Maybe they said one thing once, but...
3: They must have said no, something. No. What, so is, what is
1: the failings? Well, the Rupert Murdoch phone hacking scandal affects all of Rupert Murdoch's media holdings. So, Fox News is one of those holdings, and uh, they have not made a huge ruckus about it like every other news outlet I'll pretend so, like I know what you're talking about. Really? <laughs> I don't watch TV. Kenny's too busy Kenny. listening to the Decemberists.
0: <laughs> and who was it that there He's was... too busy a, hacking into people's phones. Right. Who was the former editor of News of the World that's been ousted? Piers Morgan. No, no, no. The, Rebecca the woman. Bro- yes. Rebecca
3: Brooks. Oh, Rebecca She's Brooks.
0: actually sa- claiming that when Pierce Morgan was the editor that yeah. it was even more rampant. Yeah. So, they're, they're getting into a whole tip about it, yeah. yeah. And he's been so def- defending of News of the World and Rupert Murdoch, so it's interesting.
1: Well, let's get to our uh, survivor spotlight tonight. I will uh, cue up this music here because she is a uh, a doctor of naturopathy. Only appropriate. Bad love is like good medicine. Amy, no. Dr. Amy now is a three-time brain cancer survivor and a naturopathic doctor. She uses a holistic approach in helping patients improve their health by treating the whole person, not just the symptoms. What an idea. Crazy concept. In her free time, she enjoys being outside in southern Vermont with her husband and her two young children. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show Dr. Amy. Now, Amy. Hi, Amy. Hello. Hi. Did you enjoy your Bon Jovi?
5: I did. Thank you so much for that. It was perfect. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm sure with you it's all bad medicine, right?
5: <laughs> According to some people I guess.
1: Yes. Well before we get started I just have to tell everyone out there the karmic way in which we met. Um there is an event yeah, there is an event every year in Stowe, Vermont, called the Stowe Weekend of Hope, where Hundreds, if not perhaps uh, almost up to a thousand people, descend upon Stovermont Stover, from all over the country for a weekend healing event of workshops and speakers and just fun stuff, all ages. So it's not just, there are plenty of young people, there are plenty of old people, but there are plenty of people right in the middle. And I was up there, so on a lark, with, uh, with Dr. K, Mr. Kane. Hello. Yes. Hey. Sorry, I'm, I'm, no, mind. He's mumbling tonight. I am. And we had the fortunate opportunity to bump into you and your husband. With the Booby
0: Sisters?
5: Yeah. Yes. No, they were no not with sisters. the Booby Sisters. <laughs> <laughs>
0: like the the, 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 the Spring entourage <laughs> is the Booby Sisters.
3: Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about at Inside all. Inside
1: jokes. It's, it's, it's I know,
3: but we have lots of listeners. You two aren't alone. Did, okay, you, did fa- you know right. that? There's microphones here, and there's other people all listening.
1: Right. <laughs> Take 30 seconds and tell them what the Booby Sisters okay, are.
0: Okay, so at Stowe, we... we I think we basically uh, were there for the opening ceremony. Right. And they're like, you know, we're very excited uh, for the fourth year
1: going. where We have this uh, this group going to come out, and they're the Boobie Sisters.
0: So we're like, you know, what the heck
1: are the Boobie Sisters? So, you know, a, a pack of about ten middle-aged. That's generous. Is it generous? Yes.
0: <laughs> gray,
1: gray middle-aged women come out, and they were lip-syncing to Beatles parodies. So, not only was it a lip sync, but it was also a lip sync to a parody that they had previously. they like the Menudo. I,
0: I have no idea how to,
1: what to compare these women to, but they were entertaining. But they were entertaining and they had so much fun doing it. And they were, they were called doing. the Boobie Sisters. Cool. They all had breast cancer.
3: I was going to say they must have, yeah.
1: They all had colon cancer. <laughs> no, they all had particular cancer. <laughs> no, those
0: <are> the
1: <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, Amy, please. Anyway, Amy. We digress. You're the guest. We're, we're, we're taking away from your precious time on the show. Tell us your story.
5: Well, 7 years ago, I was having migraines and um a resident actually at my at my doctor's office sent me for a CAT scan. They which took longer than they said it would and they sent me for an MRI where they found a mass in my brain. And she called me crying almost saying, "I th- think you have brain cancer." And um so I was Think, think. what? I
0: think you <laughs> well, have brain you know, cancer from an
5: MRI. So I went to a neurosurgeon who told me that I had, it was just water, and he was going on vacation the next day and sent me on my way. But I kind of felt that something wasn't right. And Wait, I, he
3: told you it I was went. just water, you said?
5: Yeah. Water
3: on your it was
5: just, brain? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just, Isn't that hydrocephaly? It. And it was Well, it was sort of, but not, it was in a golf ball size area. And he said that it was just water, which I was in, um, physician assistant program, I knew how to read MRIs enough to know that it wasn't water. So I went to another neurosurgeon who, in fact, said that it was a mass, and the only way to know if it was cancer or not was to have surgery. And this was a month before my wedding, and I thought...
1: It's always a month before the wedding.
5: Yeah, yeah. So I didn't know if they were going to shave my head or what, and so they, they agreed to put it off until a month after my wedding. And they they went in and removed the tumor, and when I had my follow-up MRI, I had moved to Arizona, was taking prereqs because I was starting medical school, and they found out that only half of my tumor had been removed, and this was in 2005. Um,
1: some quality surgery right there.
5: Yeah, well, it was, you know, I think he did the best he could, but it was in an area that wasn't as um, developed with the technology that they had in Phoenix. So I went to um, a hospital in Phoenix that's pretty world-renowned for neurosurgery, and um, they took out the rest, and it was a grade 2, which means that it was there are four grades of brain tumors, and grade 1 and 2 are not cancer, grade 3 and 4 are. So it wasn't cancer. I didn't have to have any further treatment, and I went on to do, do med school. I had two children while I was in med school, and right before I graduated – I had another MRI, a follow-up MRI, and they found out that the tumor had grown back into the space that was empty from the first tumor and into good tissue, and so um, when they removed that one, it had turned to cancer. It was a grade three, So, um, and that was in November of 2009. So I had seven weeks of radiation, and I continued to have follow-up MRIs every three months, and so far... It's all has looked really clear. So I graduated med school and moved out to Vermont to practice medicine.
3: Wow. So how else did this affect your life? I mean, you said you went on to have two kids while you were in med, like as if med school is not hard enough. <laughs> Having a diagnosis isn't hard enough. You popped out two kids?
5: I did. You know, I guess I thought that you might as well just throw it all on your plate at once, you know. I mean, what's the point of spreading that out? <laughs> no, I my kids, I, I am so... I turned out to be really grateful for them because they they made my life so much more complete. And, you know, med school was everything. And when I had them, med school couldn't be everything. But I actually did better in school than I did before I had either of them. Really? Because I had to really focus my time and focus my energy on, you know, what I need to do. But at the same time, my third surgery was, you know, the my priorities were different, and I had not only my husband, but I had children depending on me, and, you know, I thought I was healed forever, and, you know, it turned out that I wasn't. So it was it was quite a challenging surgery for sure. They um, they actually, while in surgery, um, they nicked something and gave me a stroke, So not only did I wake up with symptoms that I was kind of expecting from the surgery, but I also could barely move the right side of my body. <laughs> so, um yeah, yeah. And I didn't even find out about it till two weeks later when I went for my follow-up appointment because, you know, I think people just didn't know to ask. If I was on the other side of the bed, I would have asked for sure. But um, So it's been quite a journey recovering from all of that and, you know, figuring out who I am and how my brain works and, and practicing medicine, which I know, but sometimes it's hard getting things out um, because of the deficit that I have from my surgery.
3: And what is that what is that deficit now?
5: Sometimes I have a hard time with, you know, word finding, and so it's like I know what I want to say, but I just can't get it out. And no. so oftentimes I'll kind of reword things to say what I want to say, um, which can be frustrating at times. And it's worse when I'm tired or really stressed than I just like it's harder for me, but I, you know, it's something that I've really worked at because you know, I'm a physician, and I there's a great deal that I know, and I really want to get that across to my patients and, you know, and my family too.
3: And so, Amy, and uh, describe for everybody what a naturopathic do- doctor does and who exactly are your patients and what kind of illnesses do you treat.
5: Sure, I'd love to. So a naturopath is you were tr- we have a four-year medical degree, and we're trained in – you know all of the pathologies and pharmacology as well, but at the same time, we're kind of taught to approach things from a more holistic approach, and part of our program is really heavily based on nutrition and herbs and um, physical adjustments and and um, a lot of different ways to address somebody as a real person as a whole person, not just high blood pressure or diabetes because all of their life creates how they are, not just their symptoms. And so when I see a patient, I see the whole picture and I address the whole picture through, you know, even managing their stress and and changing the way they eat. And it's amazing how much that has an impact on our health as well as, you know, the prescriptions that we're on.
3: And how many cancer patients do you deal with?
5: You know, I have about mm, maybe five or ten cancer patients. I don't have a ton, but, you know, I I really enjoy helping them and, and helping them feel better and using some of the protocols that I used while going through radiation and to restore my energy. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of the meds that they normally prescribe because I was taking supplements. And to be able to do that for other people makes me feel good too, you know, because I feel like my, my struggle means something.
3: So you so and your regimen was what you said taking supplements like what did what did you do to help yourself get through and what do you recommend to others
5: you know i took a lot of vitamin c and and um i actually even did ivs to help boost my energy and oh, um,
1: iv vitamin c
5: yeah yeah it's actually really um it it helps boost your energy but iv vitamin c in particular is known to kill cancer cells
1: isn't that the, the device they use in the movie inception
5: <laughs> I don't
1: know where
3: they keep going in their layers of cream <laughs> the, layers
1: of cream, the yeah. button they push is vitamin C
3: so that's interesting <laughs> now where can you so where does one go if they want to get a vitamin C
1: drip
5: <laughs> you know I don't know them who all. does it in New York <laughs> but you can go to naturopathic.org and they have all the naturopaths that have gone to medical school and you know find one you can put in your zip code and find one near you and um, you know talk to them about it but I, I I think that's the best way to go about it.
1: Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that naturopathy is no longer considered a quacky, witchcrafty type of spooky, kooky thing. It has become well, more of a fact, mainstream thing.
5: Yeah, in fact, we just got licensed in New York to be actual true physicians.
1: And if you're gay, you can get married.
5: Exactly. That's, you that's could a ever double whammy for
1: a naturopathic <laughs> homosexual. That's good stuff right there. Thank you, uh, Governor, what's his name, Cuomo? Yes. I should know these things. <laughs> but in all seriousness, obviously, this is probably something that insurance does not cover, correct?
5: You know, some do, but I don't know in New York. In Vermont, actually, naturopaths are covered as primary care physicians. Because there's such a shortage of doctors here.
1: I'm moving to the land of cabbage, Cheese and Ben and & Jerry's. Vermont had know, like
3: and weddings before we did,
1: Yes, Matthew. No, but yes. I'm saying is now they can get married yes. in New York.
3: Yes. Instead of
1: just being an in Vermont. But I'm saying she's in
3: Vermont, and yes. Vermont is already, you know, more progressive in some ways All right, than we so are. So with
1: regard to the nation's nutritional health, Vermont's been accused, like Wisconsin has been accused, of making so much cheese, which is bad for you because dairy's bad for you, and uh-huh. Ben and Jerry's is bad for you because it's dairy. What are your thoughts on dairy?
5: You know, I feel like a lot of people are sensitive to dairy, but I went to the Ben and Jerry's, you know, museum, and you gotta have an ice cream when you're there. <laughs> yeah, all it takes <laughs>
3: is going to the Ben and Jerry's museum, and you're a sucker. You're on. You're on their team. So, are you a vegetarian? I know, right?
5: <laughs> Me, no. Yeah.
1: So again, but a lot
5: of NDS are, but I'm not.
1: So I mean, do people would people consider someone who's a homeopath or a naturopath or or an herbalist or not herbalist or herbology? I mean, would you is it fair to categorize those in the same sentence?
5: Well, they're sort of similar. What how naturopathy is different is that we kind of learn everything in our program, whereas those are you know you can learn. Um, Botanical medicine You can learn nutrition You can learn homeopathy You can learn You know So they're separate things But our program includes all of them And so I think that's why naturopaths are so great Because we have so many kind of tools in our tool bag to treat people
1: So where does nutrition come in within the role of Within your role to patients?
5: I think nutrition is primary That's pretty much the main thing I talk about with a lot of people Because what they're eating can actually increase inflammation in their body, and, you know, they don't even realize it.
3: So what do you do, What what is your, describe to us your lifestyle in terms of how you maintain your health with, I mean, you said you're not, you're not a vegan or anything like that in terms of your exercise regimen, and how do you, how do you, how do you take care of yourself on a day-to-day basis being a survivor?
5: You know, I I take some supplements. I chase around two young children. And yeah, that'll do it. Pretty active. <laughs> but you know, I really try to you know have enough protein in every meal and decrease my amount of carbs that I eat and increase fruits and veggies and, um, you know, and at the same time really enjoy being where I am and enjoy being outside and enjoy my husband and. And try to really appreciate life because we ne- we don't know how long we have, you know. And I think that plays a huge part in it too. Is
1: do you think it's to your advantage that you wake up every day and breathe Vermont air? <laughs>
5: uh, I'm pretty positive. Coming from Arizona, I I just I love it here. I just really do. It's fabulous.
1: I mean, because tonight's show's theme is all about the environment and toxins and things we probably have very little control over, you know, influencing our immune systems, and our, our cellular levels. And, you know, within the scope of do we all have to live in Vermont to, have, to be healthy, you know, while still eating cheese and going to Ben and Jerry's, I suppose, and maybe buying a teddy bear <laughs> at the teddy bear company because they're up there too. From a general do you get questions from your patients about about these larger issues?
5: About what to eat?
1: No, about, like, like, the environment or toxins or mercury in the fish or, you know, lead in the paint or whatever.
5: You know, I get some questions, but I also feel like being in Vermont, people kind of live a cleaner life, and they spend a lot of time outdoors. There's a lot of farming here. And so, you know, it's different than being in a city where, you know, that's those are some real concerns. Whereas here, I don't get so many inquiries about that because people are outside a lot more.
3: I'm actually just, I, I can't get past the fact that um, there's somebody who moved from the warm weather to the cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> I've never I heard of somebody. I
5: too. I don't know what we were thinking. <laughs>
3: I, yeah, I don't think I've even ever heard of that before, somebody moving from west to east.
5: Well, you know, my family's out here, my husband's family's out here, and we wanted to be closer to them and, you know, have our kids be able to see their grandparents and be on the same time zone as them. and. And so, you know, that part has been wonderful, that we get to see our family a lot more.
3: So just before we wrap up here, Amy, so where you work, and I'm pronouncing this correctly, like the Sojourns Community Health Clinic?
5: Uh-huh. It's so a nonprofit. Go ahead, yeah. Yeah. Also. It's a nonprofit clinic actually comprised of um, medical doctors, naturopaths, chiropractors, acupuncturists. There's a dietitian and herbalist. And we all meet every day at lunch and kind of talk about our patients and give each other ideas. So when you come to see me, the cool thing is you kind of get everyone's experience mixed in to what, what I can present to. And so it, it's a pretty amazing place. And it's so it's in an old farmhouse, and everyone's just really healing. And it's, it's, I knew ex- when I walked in the door that that's where I wanted to work. So I'm, I'm grateful that they hired me because I love it there.
3: So in a sense, just uh, just to quickly follow up, in a sense, if somebody comes with a heart problem, that specialist might say that they should see you as well. You kind of, one patient gets the full experience?
5: Well, you know, oftentimes we get referrals from PCPs that, you know, their primary care that kind of the patient doesn't want to be on medications or they really want to do lifestyle modification, but the primary care doesn't have the time to do it. And so they send them to sojourns where we you know that's a huge part of our focus. Um, so yeah, I mean we can get patients from from anywhere, but oftentimes they come because they don't want to be on all the drugs and they want to know how to get off, and yeah. that's where diet comes in.
3: Well, pretty amazing. Three-time survivors, two kids, doctor, healing others.
1: Vermont Ben and Jerry's. Vermont <laughs> Ben and Jerry's. Cabot cheese. Yep, and I have a
5: Facebook. I have a Facebook and Twitter. If you look up Doctor Nowf on there, you'll find me on. On Twitter and Facebook, we post um, medical stories, news stories every day, and, and you know, trying to stay out there. So, yeah.
1: Well, it was really great, Karma, to meet you with Kenny and uh, to meet Adam, and I wish you guys the best. Uh, love those right. kids, and uh, good luck with everything. We'll see you next year in Stowe.
5: That sounds good. I'll see you later.
1: All right. Take care, Dr. Amy Now. Thanks, Amy. All right, let's breeze to the news here so we can get to Dr. Steingraver. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, mammy. All right, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on. And they're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar curls, concerts, tweet of support groups, and more. If you have something coming up that you'd like us to mention during this part of the show, please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. That is info at stupidcancer.com. Head on over to
3: events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our social and educational events nationwide. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods, and we certainly don't want you missing out. What's going on, Matthew?
1: We got happy hours in D.C. on Friday, August 5th, Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania on Wednesday, August August 17th, and northern New Jersey on Wednesday, August 24th. It's the
3: unofficial Save the Date for the 5th Annual OMG Cancer Summit in Las Vegas, Pennsylvania, March 30th, 31st, and April 1st, 2012, for an all-out weekend of insanely awesome programs, events, social networking at the hippest annual event in all of Cancerland. Keep your eyes peeled, omg2012.org, over the coming weeks for more details and the official
1: Save the Date. The stupid cancer forums have more than 800 members who are highly active and using it every single day. This is your premier online community to connect with survivors, patients, parents, and caregivers just like you. Visit stupidcancerforums.com and sign up with one click through Facebook.
3: Want to help us out but don't know how? Join the Stupid Cancer Street Team. It's free, it's easy, win great prizes. Build our grassroots efforts and meet thousands of fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com.
1: And as always, in conclusion, be sure to register yourself with Immerman Angels, our partner in one-to-one peer matching at immermanangels.org. And check out the calendar for First Descent, the premier young adult outdoor adventure organization, at firstdescent.org. And that That is your Stupid Stupid Cancer News. All
3: right, let's get to the main attraction, Our special guest tonight, Dr. Sandra Steingraber. She is a scholar-in-residence at Ithaca College and is the author of Living Downstream, an ecologist's personal investigation of cancer and the environment which is currently the subject of an award-winning documentary film. She lectures on college campuses and at medical schools and has provided congressional briefings, testified before the president's cancer panel, and also spoken in the European Parliament. Well... Wow.
1: My job is done.
3: That's it. We're not worthy. Please help us welcome Dr. Sandra Steingraver.
4: Welcome to the show.
3: Welcome
1: to the show.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: May we call you Sandra? Please do. Okay. Sandra or Sandra? Sandra.
4: <laughs> it depends on where you're from. We say Sandra in Illinois.
1: Okay. I accept that. <laughs> Sandra. So thank you for coming on the show. I've been a fan. Apparently we've known each other a very long time now, and I just did some research. And Ithaca College was one of the very first universities that had literature from my organization. How do you you like that?
4: Oh, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, I'm really proud of our college campus. It's won all kinds of sustainability awards, and it feels like a really progressive place. I think any college student uh, at Ithaca College with cancer now would have a very different experience than I did when I had cancer when I was uh, 20 in college. For me, it was just a very uh, lonely and isolating experience.
1: And I went to Bayminton, so I'm a Wegmans fan just like you, and uh, a southern tierite, and well, excuse I was diagnosed me, in college. excuse
3: me, I went to Colgate, so I also know that neck of the woods well. You brush your teeth with
1: Colgate. Get it straight. <laughs>
4: Upstate New so, York's a beautiful
3: place. It is yes. a beautiful place. So let's start off, actually, since you brought it up, your college experience in being diagnosed in college. Tell us about that.
4: Well, I'm now 52, so I was diagnosed in 1979, uh, a couple days after my 20th birthday, um, and in between my sophomore and junior years of college. I was a young biology uh, major at the time. And uh, while I was lying there exhaling anesthesia, my diagnosing physician um, shared with me the bad news from the pathology lab. I had bladder cancer. And then he began to ask me a series of questions, which at the time seemed surreal. Um, Had I ever vulcanized tires? Had I ever smelted aluminum? Or had exposure to (laughs) aniline dyes? (laughs) And uh, And you
1: answered yes (laughs) to all of them. (laughs)
4: Right. Well, you know, I was the clean living winner of the local Elks Club scholarship. Um, I wasn't doing any of those things. Um, And back at the university, I began to investigate what we know about the causes of bladder cancer, and I found out, in fact, his questions were the right ones, that, uh, in fact, bladder cancer is considered a quintessential environmental cancer, and we have uh, more data about the environmental connections than almost any other kind of cancer, with data going back, in some cases, 100 years. I was also shocked to find out that uh, in spite of all this absolute proof that we have for the ability of certain chemicals to cause bladder cancer, that knowledge had never triggered anything in our regulatory system that uh, then caused those chemicals to be abolished in any way. So so we're still all exposed to known carcinogens, which for me as somebody who was on her way to medical school and cutting up a lot of lab rats, I always thought all those animal experiments um, that we do to test chemicals to see whether they cause cancer. I thought there was some nobility in in sacrificing all these animals because eventually they would lead to a more you know safe and detoxified world so that was a kind of stunning surprise to me.
1: Nice to be optimistic. <laughs>
4: Well, I I mean, part of the reason I left the lab bench and did not go on to medical school, I mean, I went on to get a Ph.D. in biology, but I decided not to go on to medical school because I knew as a young cancer patient I was going to be spending a lot of time in hospitals, and I really didn't want it to be my workplace anymore. Of all human cancers, bladder cancer is the one most likely to recur. It recurs in 70% of patients. And, and it's uh, therefore the most expensive cancer to have because you can actually live a long time with bladder cancer. Happily, the bladder is accessible to the outside world through a technique called cystoscopy, which sounds pretty grisly, but is mostly unpleasant but not really horrible. And so every few months, you know, I I put on that backless blue cotton gown and go through these uh, these tests, and I've had a really good outcome, but it's been um, it's been tough. Um, I think there's a price that all cancer patients pay in the kind of re-identification of the self and the way we start to feel differently about our own bodies once we feel betrayed that way. So it put me on a different path, and eventually um, I made my life's work as a biologist to investigate um, carcinogens and, and other chemicals that affect our health, and I see this as a human rights problem. And I think the data we have are actually strongest of all for uh, pediatric cancers and cancers that affect young people. So those tumors um, in particular have very strong links to uh, early life environmental exposures. So I see my job now as an activist biologist in um, eliminating uh, carcinogens from commerce, whether we use them as pesticides or whether they're part of our energy system or part of our materials economy. I think these chemicals are killing uh, children and young people and uh, causing the rest of us to um, suffer from, um, suffer kind of miserable lives as as cancer patients, and and we just need to abolish these things.
1: I I couldn't agree with you more. And if we could look at the faces of all of our listeners, I'm sure most of them will be nodding their heads. Uh, my question to you is that the general public's perception of toxins in the environment is Aaron Brockovich with Julia Roberts. How true to life is that, and is that? Does that sum up the majority of the issues that you address and bring to light?
4: I think Erin's a great role model for this, sure. I, she's a, a public face behind a lot of good uh, data. Uh, and I think a lot of the um, the, the stories about cancer in the environment are not as clear-cut as the one that she investigated, which was hexavalent chromium. But um, the question that interests me as both a biologist and as a cancer survivor is, when do you have enough data to do something precautionary? Do you want just an inkling of harm before you protect children and teenagers from cancer-causing chemicals? Do you want, or do you want absolute proof? And who gets to decide? So those questions really became the basis of um, my book on this topic, Living Downstream. And then when uh, the filmmaker turned it into this documentary. We we really foregrounded that question of how much evidence do you want and who gets to decide. I mean these things are economic issues, right? So cancer adds a lot of rock to the pockets of our healthcare system. I mean, I I I can't tell you how much money I've spent over the years as a cancer patient. It's why I don't have a retirement account and probably never will. You know, it's like death by a thousand cuts. Um and so you can argue that preventing cancer would actually be um would be helpful to our economy. And I'm interested in those economic arguments, but I'm mostly, as a cancer survivor, interested in the human rights approach to this. You know, it, you know, when you compare it to other things, like terrorism, you know, we don't allow people to simply randomly uh, shoot a gun into a crowd of people or blow up a bomb, um, n- even though they don't know who their victims are going to be. And deliberately releasing cancer-causing chemicals into our environment, Is a form of homicide. And and that's kind of the argument that I try to um, explicate in living downstream. The data for some things, like the link between benzene and leukemia, we have absolute proof. In my case, bladder cancer, we have absolute proof for certain uh, uh, toxicants in bladder cancer. Um, And then for other things, like non Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, like ovarian cancer among teenage girls, we have some. Um, provocative evidence, but not necessarily absolute proof. So the moral question is, when do you have enough evidence to begin to denormalize these chemicals from our economy and and do something different?
3: So that's an interesting way to to turn it around that I think not a lot of people think about, the idea that that you compare this to terrorism rather than a lot of folks say, we don't want any sort of regulation because we don't want the government telling us what to do and how to live our lives.
4: Right. Well, I mean, the other uh, way of looking at it is I don't want my body used as a final repository for other people's toxic chemicals. This is contamination without consent, you know. And (laughs) and there is a Fourth Amendment to our Constitution which guarantees the security of person, which is intended to make sure that the police can't um, arrest you without a warrant or enter your house or search your papers without cause. Um, but it also could refer to the fact that our exhaled breath, our urine, our blood, our breast tissue is full of uh, toilet deodorizers, moth-proofing agents, PCBs, dioxins, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons from diesel exhaust, and so forth. I never consented that my body should be used for this. Okay. Now, as a bladder cancer patient, especially one that's young, I'm very likely to have inherited a genetic predisposition that makes me what's called a slow acetylator, which means that my liver enzymes may not work as efficiently as most other people's in detoxifying the the carcinogens I'm exposed to. And if you don't detoxify quickly, what happens is then all of those chemicals that we're exposed to every day end up in your urine if they're water soluble, and uh, therefore a slow acetylator will have more um, water soluble toxic chemicals Uh, in their urine, therefore exposing the lining of their bladder to more toxicants. So an inherited predisposition could have set me up for this. Uh, My aunt went on to die of the same kind of bladder cancer I had. Um, However, I'm adopted, right? So the fact that my aunt and I had the same kind of cancer, the fact that at the time I was diagnosed, my mom, who was in her mid-40s at the time, already had metastatic breast cancer, She's not related to me genetically either. we're a very close family, but not we don't share any chromosomes in common. So but as you share we share where we
3: lived <laughs>
4: We shared where we live right and that's right. what became that's exactly what became the focus of my study in living downstream. What else do families have in common? often air food and and water um and so that really became my starting point as a biologist and i I really believe that uh young people with cancer have this kind of fighting spirit that could really um, provide a kind of forceful political engagement we need with our chemical regulatory system um, and with our energy system so that we invest in um, clean, green chemistry, green engineering, and a green energy system so we don't have to be poising ourselves just to, you know, turn on the lights.
3: So what is it going to take, you touched on this before, but what is it going to take to get to that tipping point when we're up against so well, much? Think com-
4: I, I see this Because I see this as a human rights issue, I look back at other successful human rights stories, um, and I take real inspiration from them. You know, at one point, our economy was entirely dependent on slave labor. In the 1830s, if you invested in a slave, that was like investing in real estate in the 1990s. Um, And everybody benefited from unpaid labor because it made the cost of goods cheaper. It made us competitive competitive in the global marketplace, and and it was such a good investment that people took all of their wealth and invested it in slaves. So to call for abolition in the 1830s was calling for an end to what people saw as personal property, and it was going to wipe out $2 billion worth of wealth overnight. So one of my personal heroes is a guy named Elijah Lovejoy from my home state of Illinois. I named my now 9-year-old son after him. He called... um, uh, slavery, a homicidal abomination. Even though he admitted our entire economy was dependent on it, and just said that it's, you know, we have to, we have to divorce our economy from this abomination. And so I'm calling on us to become carcinogen abolitionists. I think we need to abolish cancer-causing chemicals as part of our economy and do do without these chemicals.
1: If I can and, interrupt and you and there, the it Are...
4: shows us that we can do it.
1: I, I I want to interrupt you there because you bring up a valid point, and our our, our broadcast production assistant James wanted to bring up the issue of the FDA and the approval or the disapproval of cancer-causing agents and these secret top-secret things that are out there that we don't know about. James,
0: sure, the EPA I know has a list of. I meant
1: the EPA, not the right. FDA. Right. Well,
0: and there's both. How many how many agencies regulate toxic chemicals or things that are thought to be toxic? And what is the process to have something banned by the EPA? Does it even exist?
4: Yes, there is a process. There's a law that was passed in 1976, which was you know three years before I was diagnosed, um, called the Toxic substance Well, it's part of the our TOSCA, um, the Toxic Substances Control Act, and uh, and it was the government's first attempt to kind of get a handle on inherently toxic chemicals that are being produced every year. And before that, before 1976, we had no such law. But the way the law was written, it allowed the 69,000 chemicals that were already on the market to have a free pass. They were grandfathered along. So it was only new chemicals that came on the market after 1976 that had to be reviewed in any way. So you can imagine if you're a business, it's far easier to rely on that old inventory of the the old 69,000 chemicals because if you want to um, bring something new onto market, the the burden of proof and the, and the level of safety that you have to demonstrate is higher than if you rely on those old toxic chemicals. And so, unfortunately, the law had this effect of really uh, of this being a disincentive to innovation for green chemistry, because as long as they can use these old chemicals for which there was no requirement for testing, why bother to go through all the testing requirements? And, and this is exactly the realization that the European Union um, it kind of dawned on them a few years ago because they had a similar law on the books. And long story short, they end up um, totally scrapping that old law, writing a brand new law called REACH, uh, R-E-A-C-H, which you can uh, Google, and it's a you know 500-page piece of legislation that really boils down to one bumper sticker slogan, which is this: No data, no market. So in Europe, if you can't demonstrate safety, you're no longer allowed to bring. Um, the chemicals to market, which has then really uh, spurred a lot of innovation in uh, green, non-toxic ways of doing things. And so I'm really interested in that science, that uh, regulatory framework, uh, which is based on what we call the precautionary principle. I'm really interested in importing that here in the United States. And I think young people with cancer are the ideal ambassadors for these ideas.
0: So when the the European Union passed REACH, what happened to products in the market that didn't have the data? Did they suddenly go off the shelves?
4: Well, all these old chemicals have to be uh, hauled into the laboratory for testing, and so there's this kind of very complicated process by which chemicals have to jump through these hoops, if you will, through various batteries of screening tests, and they're in the the process of doing that. But in the meantime, a lot of uh, companies simply decided that it was – easier to uh, just jump right into the non-toxic stuff rather than go through all the testing. Um, And so there are a lot of things that are banned for use in Europe, which we freely use here. Um, Atrazine, which is a pesticide, um, which is our number two pesticide, uh, and this is not banned under reach because Europe also has some pesticide directives that are specific to agricultural chemicals. I want to make that clear. But in Europe, uh, atrazine is banned. Um, because it's considered inherently unmanageable and it has troubling links to ovarian and breast cancer in animals. Um, on this side of the Atlantic, we we take a look at those same data, but because there are some uncertainties left in the data, we say we don't have absolute proof so we go on using it as one of our most common pesticides. And so since I just got to hear some of the conversation about uh, green, clean uh, Vermont, I just want to add that there are a lot of pesticides in Vermont, and um, there are also a lot of organic farmers who are doing things right, but. Wherever you live, whether it's in in a rural area or in uh, an urban or suburban area, um, there are issues about toxic chemicals that cause cancer. And so there's a job for all of us cancer survivors to play here.
1: If I can hop in for a second and just switch gears, I want to play devil's advocate because basically a lot of people have sort of resigned to what can I do. It's agribusiness. It's, you know, there's so much we can only do so much. Um, the folks that say, well, the uh, the lifespan continues to increase, we're able to combat the issues that happen, cancer survival has improved, we may be destroying our bodies to save our bodies, but we, we're living longer anyway, and the focus is on meaningful quality of life. Is, is that a fair balance while we're still trying to fight the good fight?
4: Well, I mean just, I wouldn't impeach that. I would just add a few more things to, to fill out the picture, right? Like the fact that their cancer among children continues to rise, even though uh, cancer rates among uh, older adults are finally stabilizing, and that's because of smoking cessation efforts that are finally successful. And, and the story of, of denormalizing tobacco shows us that when you remove a carcinogen from our culture, You prevent cancer and people's lives are saved. That's why cancer rates among older people are going down. Nevertheless, we have more brain tumors among two-year-olds than ever before. We have more leukemia among four-year-olds than ever before. Uh, Ovarian cancer rates among adolescent girls are skyrocketing. Testicular cancer rates among young males um, have tripled since World War II. And and there are are demonstrable uh, links between environmental exposures, especially in early life, maybe even in prenatal life, and all of the cancers that I just mentioned. Um, And so we can continue to poison uh, infants and children and turn them into teenagers with cancer, or we can embrace green chemistry and green engineering and green energy and do something different uh, and save lives. And so that's what I'm interested in. So for anybody who says, you know, that's just the way it is, you know, it's it's Exxon, it's Halliburton, it's, uh, you know, Monsanto, what can I do, I just want to say that I'm here in Salt Lake City, Utah, talking to you because tomorrow um, is the sentencing of climate activist Kim DeChristopher, who's not a cancer survivor. But I think he's doing more to halt cancer before it off than any other person I know. He's a 29-year-old college student who disrupted the sale of public land for the oil and gas industry, um, and he's, he calls himself a climate justice activist. And I just want to point out that one quarter of all carcinogens that we're exposed to are brought to us by the energy sector, either by burning coal or natural gas uh, or, or petroleum or being turned into petrochemicals. So, Tim DeChristopher's actions, and, he's, and tomorrow he'll be sentenced in a federal court, um, and, and he may get up to 10 years in prison for disrupting wow. this option. Um, uh, he's my hero right now. Uh, and wow. he's my cancer prevention hero. So every single person listening can go to um, the organization that's helping to support him called Peaceful Uprising. Just go to peacefuluprising.org and find out how you can support uh, climate activist Tim DeChristopher as he faces um, um, sentencing for his peaceful um, nonviolent resistance. And I should say he succeeded in halting the sale of his public land under the Bush administration. He saved it. For enough time that when uh, President Obama came to office all, all of a sudden it was revealed this was an illegal sale in the first place, that these lands uh, were due, uh, the, the environmental um, uh, evaluation had not been done so they were being rushed to, to be sold and to be uh, blasted full of carcinogens. Um, and so he really saved those lands and probably saved people from getting cancer who live in those places. And so Tim Christopher, you know, He's a guy that we could all uh, emulate. So I'm here in, in Utah. I'll be at his. I'll be outside the federal courthouse tomorrow with other people supporting him.
1: So is the answer to basically just live on Gilligan's Island?
4: No, of course it isn't. We have to fight and uh, to protect the land that we live in, wherever it is. You know, other than the 46 chromosomes our parents gave us at the point of our conception, the rest of our bodies. It, it are made up of the rearranged molecules of air, food, and water around us. And so, by protecting our watershed, by by being advocates for the Clean Air Act, um, we prevent cancer. Uh, and so, wherever we live, we can we can preserve and protect that place. And we save uh, the lives of wildlife. We save uh, the lives of uh, farmers' children from pediatric cancers when we choose to buy organic food. Um, And we save um, our own selves from uh, exposure to pesticides. We know that children who are fed organic food have uh, lower pesticide burdens in their urine than 46-year-olds who are fed conventional food. So, you know, I went on to become a mom myself, which is the best thing that ever happened to me. I was a cancer patient at 20. I became a mother at the brink of 40, and now I have these two amazing children. And I choose to feed them all organic food. And I choose to uh, redirect my food dollars towards the local organic farmers where I live in upstate New York. Um, and, be, and, and in doing so, I'm not only uh, giving pure food to my own children and exposing them to fewer carcinogens, but I'm also keeping carcinogens from being broadcast sprayed into the air, water, and food in the land around me. And so those are choices that we can all make in our own ways. So well, I often
3: I was going to say, uh-huh. I, I second that, and Matthew, you don't have to live in Gill- Gilligan's Island, because I live one hour outside of New York City and grow an amazing...
1: might, might as well be Gilligan's Island.
3: <laughs> no, it's only one hour outside of New York City and grow an amazing organic garden and have solar panels for our hot water. Not quite for the heat yet, but for the hot water. Um, but there's all... Yes. and it's, and it's so a. It's live near the
1: nuclear power it's plant a one, leaks?
3: Well, I do live near the nuclear power plant, Indian Point, not that far, but, you know, so hopefully, hopefully that won't do us in. But um, it's a wonderful thing to grow your own, you know, make a salad and have it cut right from your own organic, Gordon, and it tastes it is better, better than anything you can buy in a store ever.
4: That's right. Um, That's if right. You, and, have, and, you know, the thing about young people with cancer is that we're at the beginning of our lives, and I think we are more likely to make huge changes in response to our diagnosis rather than older people who have you know, a lot of their life already behind them. So for me, I made a decision to not go to medical school and and move toward uh, environmental science. And and what I've seen as I tour around other college campuses, especially now with the film version of Living Downstream, I meet a lot of young people who had a cancer diagnosis who are choosing career paths that are part of the solution. And and it goes um, way beyond making individual lifestyle changes. You know, I've met students who are really interested in Becoming architects so they can design carbon-neutral houses. I've met, I've met uh, fashion design majors who want to take on the dry cleaning industry. Perchloroethylene is, is a bladder carcinogen, actually. It also is linked to lateenia. Um I've met um, actual musicians, uh, classical musicians, who are concerned that the tropical wood that makes up some of the stringed instruments, like violins and viola, are under threat now from climate change. And so they become climate activists. Because they want to preserve the ability of this wood to turn into instruments that have lovely, a lovely resonance. Yeah. Um, and so, no matter who you are, you know, it's really time to play the Save the World Symphony. You don't, you don't have to play a solo, but you have to, you have to pitch in. You have to know where we're at in the score. You have to play your instrument as well as you can in concert with everyone else, um, whatever it is. I'm married and are, to an you... artist, and so I'm interested in making sure that artists have non-toxic um, art materials, that uh, brain tumors among artists um, are, are a frightening reality and so, you know, we need to get artists away from um, toxic materials as well and green the art world along with um, uh, our energy system.
3: Yeah, did you mention that you, you were adopted and you had your kids at around four? Did you did you have your kids, yourself, did you give birth or did you adopt your kids?
4: Oh, no, <laughs> I gave birth. I did all the old-fashioned way and I have to tell you that after having cancer, childbirth is a real breeze. Um I enjoyed every part of labor and delivery, and I did not want, you know, the backless blue cotton gown. I didn't want the heparin lock, any IV drips, everything that I associate with having cancer, I didn't want when I became a mom. And so yeah. I, um, I didn't have any anesthesia or anything. I just thought, you know... I, you know, the funny thing is I was living in Boston when it was time for my first prenatal ultrasound for my daughter, with my daughter face, and I'll leave it to listeners to imagine why a cancer survivor might have a child and name her Faith. Right. Um, but I really did lie down on the same ultrasound table where I had once been scanned for signs of tumor to have my first prenatal ultrasound. Yeah. And I think I brought a whole different set of associations to that experience, um, you know, that most expected mothers probably do. Um, but I had to tell myself, if they see signs of growth, this time is a good thing and not a bad thing, right?
3: Yeah, definitely.
4: Um,
3: so I see you just—you just mentioned about you're you're a, a musician and a poet and an artist as well.
4: Oh well, I wouldn't attribute all those things to myself. I did go on to get uh, a uh, master's degree in poetry before I did my PhD in biology, and cancer had everything to do with that decision too. You know, at that time. I no longer was really interested in trying to make sense of a resume. I just wanted to do the things I loved as long as I could. And so I had kind of given up uh, poetry in high school when my mom was diagnosed. She had been a biology major, and so I went off to college. I chose the college closest to home because I wanted to come back and see her because by the time I was 15, she already had metastatic cancer. And uh, and I just wanted to be close to her. And so it just so happened um, that there that the college that I chose, Illinois Wesleyan was really good at biology, and, and I was uh, good at it. Um, but then once I got diagnosed two years later, I really wanted to also pursue the other thing I loved, which was literature and poetry. So um, so I did both, and now that I make my living as a science writer, I kind of combine both things, because I uh, I like writing a lot about the scientific evidence, and I like analyzing it, but I also like writing about it, with characters and narratives and dialogue and flashbacks and scenes and a plot that you know will keep people, my readers, uh, turning the pages.
3: That's very impressive. Matthew has a master's degree in dirty limericks, don't you, Matthew? <laughs> 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 and
1: once was a man from the <laughs> But I'm I, I actually a concert pianist, um, and I make sure that all the wood on the instruments I play is organic. Yeah. Yeah
3: yeah f s c certified No, and that, pianos. The, the, and
1: that the elephant tusks that were- har- uh, harvested for them were done humanely,
0: mhm,
4: well, isn't it amazing that those old classical instruments can make such an incredible sound without drawing a single uh without burning a single atom of carbon and drawing from the energy grid
1: yeah actually that's that is very poetic it is well so what's what's up next for you? I'm reading here on the point here that you've only won a couple of awards, like thirty of them. <laughs> I what is well, she has yeah, got a well, to come
3: back? She's, she's got to come back from her uh, uh, supporting her peaceful uprising.
1: It's like the Dalai Lama out, of, out of environmentalism out in
3: Salt Lake.
4: Well, Green I'll Nepal. be out there. In, I'll be out there in the streets tomorrow supporting Tim to Christopher. Um, I have a new book out, um, raising Elijah, named after um, I think I mentioned my son, son Elijah, who right. himself is named after my childhood hero Elijah Lovejoy, the abolitionist right. that makes the case for abolishing toxic chemicals. Um, and so I've been touring around with that. And I'm really uh, in upstate New York um, throwing my hat in the ring with uh, the so-called fractivists, which are the anti-fracking oh, yeah
1: Yes, yeah, fracking. We're
4: trying to keep fracking from coming into uh, upstate New York. That's when they uh, drill, Governor like, Cuomo really below the, right the ground, Governor right? Cuomo made the right decision on gay marriage, but right now is intending to make the wrong decision on fracking. So a lot of people are working hard on that. What fracking refers to is shattering the bedrock under our feet uh, to extract bubbles of methane. You can't do that without injecting the bedrock with carcinogens. So I'm really interested in mobilizing the whole cancer community, especially young people with cancer, to speak out against this extreme and toxic form of energy extraction, which if nothing else is diverting uh, Wall Street investment dollars away from really clean alternative energy, such as uh, solar and wind, and uh, uh, moving into this extreme fossil fuel extraction, which is nothing but a toxic dead end.
3: We actually have somebody in our chat room, as the show's been going on, who said that they were arrested for trying to prevent pesticides from drifting onto their lawn from some- that were on somebody else's lawn. Well, and- I've
4: been following this pesticide drifting, because I'm, I'm working with a guy in Illinois who faced much uh, a similar problem, so uh, because um, a lot of pesticides are sprayed aerially, we now understand that biologically this is very similar to secondhand tobacco smoke. So pesticides yeah. don't just obey property lines. They drift across the, uh, the boundary. They can go into your house, whether they're sprayed on a farmer's field or, um, you know, uh, for a lawn or a garden next door. And so this is a human rights issue because people are being um, exposed to chemicals that we know are toxic, inherently toxic. Um, without their consent um, because these things just blow in the wind. And, of course, farm workers uh, are are really at the... um, in the crosshairs of the whole pesticide uh, drift argument. So, yeah, this is a big um, human rights uh, case, but that's another big issue for uh, folks to get involved in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, wait, what's worse? When the... um, This is going to be funny, but I'm going to be very honest. What is worse? When the pesticides sort of trickle over to the neighbor's house, or when your children go to the neighbor's house and they have Twinkies and you don't allow Twinkies in your house.
3: Well, your, when the children go to the neighbor's house, they also run in their grass that has pesticides, so they're getting a double whammy whether they eat the, the, the Twinkies or not. And anybody who doesn't have weeds in their lawn, you can just look at somebody's lawn. If they don't have weeds,
1: there's pesticides, stay off. Right. So eating Pets, Twinkies children, in the lawn of your neighbor... Causes. Well,
4: you know what, I, as I, what I say in Raising Elijah is I, I'm a conscientious parent, but I'm not a HEPA filter. I'm not interested in um, raising my children in a bubble. They're going to go to the neighbor's house, they're going to eat the food, they're going to run on the lawn, they're going to pet the dogs, um, they're going to go to soccer practice, a, and they're going to fly their, down their bikes across, you know, next to the farm field. My job as their mother is to reinvent the world so it's safe for all children, not to try to keep my own kids in a little bubble of safety. That's why I get on the airplane and go, you know, testify uh, and and do briefings in Congress and things like that. I really am interested in upstream solution. I'm a really busy working mother. I travel 100 days of the year. I cannot vet every Twinkie and every birthday (laughs) goodie bag that comes into my house. I'm too busy.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know who'd be able to do that.
1: But um... hostess. Well,
4: we just need a whole new deal. We need a whole new regulatory system so that all kids are protected.
1: Well, let's just get past August second because the country could collapse and that would negate all this anyway.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think making cancer, um, having cancer makes you brave. And so, uh, when people tell me, you know, it's impossible to stop fracking in Upstate New York, um, I say. Uh, you know, my mom look I look at my mom. She got metastatic breast cancer when she was forty four. Um, she wasn't supposed to live a year and I just helped her celebrate her eightieth birthday.
3: Awesome. My wow.
4: mom she still has cancer in her bones, but she's one of those, you know, eight percent of women with metastatic cancer that's still alive more than three decades later. She's now a great grandmother. I tell her she's like Elizabeth wow. Edwards without the television cameras, right? And so and and she told me very early on that her motto was Do not let them bury you until you're dead. And that is not only my motto as a cancer patient, it's my motto as an environmental activist. So I'm going to give it everything I can. I just don't have any time for defeatism. I have no time for despair. I think people people give up before they even fight, and that is harder for me as a biologist and an activist than, um, you know, uh, debating the gas company at Cornell University Law School, which I did in March. And that was a snap compared to people who... Who feel like, they? oh, yeah, they're sympathetic, but they feel like they can't figure out what to do about it. That that I have no patience with.
3: Well, Sandra, you are fierce, and it sounds like you obviously come from a long line of fierce women. but so. you have uh, no exactly. passion. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So we're really thrilled that you uh, came on our show to share all of this with our listeners. It's really important stuff. What's,
1: what, what's the website you'd like us to let our listeners know to go to? I already to?
3: posted PeacefulUprising.org, but we've got... Okay, we I'm so post-
4: glad you did, because that's the one, you know, for the, in the next 24 hours, that's the one to look at. Um, but my own website is LivingDownstream.com. That people can watch the trailer of the film. I have my own website, uh, Steingraber.com and my new book, Raising Elijah, is on Facebook, so anybody can just uh, go to Facebook and find Raising Elijah and see where that book is going and and what it's doing. I have to tell you what a great admirer I am of stupid cancer. When I first discovered you guys, I thought, man, if I had had you all around when I was uh, 19 and 20 going through this, it would have just been a whole different experience. Thank you so much for bringing young people with cancer together. I felt like such a freaked, you know, like as though a a big cane had come out on stage and just pulled me off stage.
1: Apollo style.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm just so pleased that you're out there. Thank you.
1: Well, it's our pleasure, um, and uh, I'm a big fan. I'm really glad we got to uh, reconnect and have you on the show. Good luck with everything. Have fun in Salt Lake City. Don't let anyone uh, recruit you to uh, some crazy religion. No chance of that. I meant Judaism. (laughs) I don't
3: don't think anybody makes Sandra do anything that she doesn't want to do. She's out there fighting the good
1: fight. Yes.
4: Thank
3: you, guys. Rock All right. Okay, bye. Thank Dr. you so much. Dr. Sandra
1: everybody. Woo!
3: <laughs> Holy cow. She's got more energy than almost anyone. I'm tired. <laughs> she wore my brain out. I She wore mine out as well. Good stuff. Really good stuff. Like
1: I said, it's a shame she's just not passionate.
3: Holy mother of...
1: Or, or, incredible. Or well-versed in her...
3: Right. I, will, I will
1: cease <clears throat> ingestion of Twinkies and yeah. use of miracle Grow. And and you know it's Brooklyn.
3: Pesticides are the worst. Don't ever use pesticides, Kenny. I I, ever ever.
0: I took a uh, a class and it was yeah, it was all about that. So I ever I've been I've been. You grew up in Long Island, ever the pesticide
1: capital of the world. Yeah, we shower in that shit. Do do (laughs) not not use pesticides. The best part about me, I live in a apartment building with no lawn, (laughs) so my kids can't go anywhere except the hallway. Right? They they just lick the sidewalk. They never. Not yet, but someday <laughs> the rotting flesh of New York City.
3: Uh, <laughs> all right. It's nine so eleven. Uh, so
1: we discussed um Ben and Jerry's, Cabbage Cheese, Vermont. Still We're
3: supposed to talk about healthy things. You're just going back to cheese and and ice cream. It's
1: I gotta tell it's you got dairy on the mind. <laughs> Matt's gonna make us stop on the way home. Fresh. <laughs> organic
3: fruits and vegetables, people no, and Kenny, they taste we had great. a really
1: good time at Vermont. The I food was really organic. good. I'm glad it was good for you. You didn't enjoy the food in Vermont?
3: He enjoyed the booby sisters. <laughs> yeah, he did.
1: <laughs> no, I forget uh Adam uh Amy's husband and I were drinking uh some micro Beverly. some micro brews. So we we enjoyed ourselves. We like nothing, nothing authentic- like you, Kenny. Yeah, nothing Sounds like. Sounds nothing like you. No, we went to this authentic like English res- restaurant that had like, you know, um mutton, you <laughs> know,
0: like and like
1: <laughs> crazy what are those pies that they eat in England? Yeah. My my thirsty freckles were appeased <laughs> at that <laughs> restaurant. <laughs> Well, we are not going to see each other for six weeks. I'm going to see you tomorrow. I am in this room, unless we come into this room tomorrow. Oh, God. September twelfth is when we come back on the air, live at 8 p.m. I Our can't believe we're off for six weeks. Six weeks. Well, we have a lot of planning to do for the OMG Cancer Summit. That's mm-hmm. going to happen. We're building a lot of new systems for volunteers to take an active role in the event. We're bringing on a new staff member, which is fantastic. And I guess more importantly, um, I might actually want some time off. I really. cannot believe that. What's that mean? It'd be great if our time off overlapped. This is like the the concept of me taking time off <laughs> <laughs> I don't take time off. But I'll be trying to take time off. But I want to thank all of our listeners for making season eight a fantastic season. Fantastic. We went from thirty thousand to 890,000 listens over the course of a year and a half.
3: Amazing. And that's
1: only for the last two years of our broadcasting. It does not include the first two years. agogmic I am I am gog. I stand here agog. I am befuddled beyond agognis.
0: <laughs>
1: you have the body of a agognis What? Oh, all I have to say to that is that you've got a lot of... Chitspa. <laughs> God bless Michelle Bachman and her... Chitspa. <laughs> Chutzpah. It's just like it's just Chutzpah. like cathartic. It's the it's gift to love when like non-Jewish people try to be Jewish. It's the gift that keeps Chutzpah. giving. There you go. Okay. <laughs> all right. Anyway, folks, that is it. Thank you for Thank being you so great much listeners and great guests all, for the whole show. It is uh, now time for our final closing sequence of season eight. Prepare to activate.
0: Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internet.
1: You ever seen a grown man naked? And so to all of you, a fond farewell.
0: Hooray, I'm
1: helping. You are a meathead.
0: Oh, (laughs) Magoo, you've
1: done it again. (laughs) That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer.
3: All right, everybody, that is tonight's show, our 195th broadcast. Uh, And as usual, we hope you had as much fun as we did poking a stick at Stupid uh, Cancer.
1: I'd like to to thank our guest... Dr. Amy Now, Dr. Sandra Steingraver, and live in studio, Mr. Dr. Reverend James Manning and the one and only Kenny Kane. We return
3: on the air Monday, September 12th, to kick off Season 9. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this season.
1: We will see you then. If you've missed any of the shows from this season or any other, download them all for free on iTunes by visiting iTunes.StupidCancer.com or check out the archives anytime at StupidCancerShow.com. Remember, folks, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the chemo deck on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself and the whole team here and i2y have a great rest of the summer
3: good night
0: everybody bye
1: relate graduate are still a the